You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. No, I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Josh Silverberg. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is a Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. And there's no Joshua Silverberg. Again, for a second week, he is sick as a dog, throwing up and enjoying his stomach virus. So we got the great and powerful board op man himself, Tidy Whitey Man, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only... On 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey, what's going on, buddy? Guess I'm co-hosting again. I mean, we had Josh not here two weeks ago. We had Josh lose power last week. Wah! So, so it's a, definitely some crazy circumstances for sure. But looking forward to the show today. Uh, looking forward to Memorial Day weekend for sure. My family's actually coming up here this time. I know you're enjoying do, this. And we're going to do something probably with my cousins, maybe my aunt as well. Maybe Why wasn't I invited? Us. Was there any thought in your mind to invite me to a family get-together? It's not my control. Well, I, I just don't think you want me to meet your mother. I think that's the problem. I, I think the problem is is that you just don't want me to be consistently conversative with your mother. That's what it is. Sure, we'll go with that. You know, I love it. By the way, happy Memorial Day to all you fans out there. This is a great, great time because this is the start of the summer. Everybody says when Memorial Day is right around the corner, we're talking about the beginning of summer. So a lot of people like heat. They like the beach, they like boats, they like bike riding, and they like fishing. And out here in Long Island, everybody loves all those things. So we're happy to be here. We have a great show lined up for you. As you guys know, the Islander game was on before us. So I give a shout-out to the New York Islanders and Barry Trotz and Lou Lamorello and all the Islander fans, as I am an Islander fan. So we're going to get into the Islanders in just one second. We're going to get into the New York Knicks. And their woes in this series against the Hawks and what they need to do to come out of this series. We're going to get into the Mets and the Yankees. Both the Mets and the Yankees are fighting injury right now. The Yankees losing Corey Kluber for a significant amount of time and Luke Voigt. What do the Yankees need to do to continue playing at the top of their game? So we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. And obviously, debate hour and the crunch time. And we're going to get into Aaron Rodgers, too. Because Julio Jones and Aaron Rodgers are the stories in the talk of the town. Two of the best at their positions could be on their way out on both respectable teams. But first, the New York Islanders. And... Lou Lamorello, to me, has been GM of the year every single year. What this team has become ever since Lou has become the GM of the organization and then he brought in Barry Trotz, and this is practically the same team that's been there with Gart Snow all these years. Obviously, a little player here and a little player there. Some of the trades that uh, Lou has made that's really made them a consistent playoff contender with Pajot last year. That was a big pickup, and obviously the big trade this regular season, so that's something Something that's really solidified with the Islanders. Kyle Palmieri and obviously Zajac have been a big part. And how about signing a very good and very young goaltender in Ilya Sorokin, who has been the talk 
of the New York Islanders town. Yes, it is not Volamov, who everybody has said, oh, he's a Vinzina Trophy winner, possibly. He's not winning no trophy. Uh, and, he, and to me, he's not healthy. And the best player should be playing. And I told everybody, if anybody has not watched our show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network called the Sports Loudmouth, well, you better listen to it. I had told everybody when Sorokin won the first game of this series, the Penguin series, I said that he should be playing out this series because he's the better goalie. Well, nobody listened to me. Barry Trotz obviously wasn't listening to me. He decided to start Volamov in the second game, which he gave up two bad goals. He played well after that, but two bad goals cost him the game. And then, obviously, in the third game, boy, oh boy, did he give up a lot of goals. He should have been pulled. They should have put Sorokin in in the third period, and that would have probably ended the series a lot quicker. Well, they didn't. They left Volamov in. And then, finally, he grew a set of you-know-what, Kazunas, and he decided to play the rookie goaltender, the young goaltender from the KHL, the Russian League, and he showed why everybody is saying he's the next big coming of goaltenders in the NHL. So Sorokin played on his back the whole series. To me, the Pittsburgh Penguins outplayed the Islanders from top to bottom. The only reason why they won that series is timely goaltending and timed goals that the Islanders scored, not power play. The Islanders barely were on the power play in that series, and they're not a good power play team anyways. And Jari was absolutely horrendous for the Penguins. He's an AHL goaltender. He should not be in the NHL. But the Penguins were the number one team going into the playoffs in whatever you want to call it. It's not the Eastern Conference. The Mass Mutual East. Mass Mutual East. But nevertheless, the Islanders knocked off the number one seed. And you're going into this series against the Boston Bruins. And, and, And to me... The Washington Capitals were a team that was fighting injury all season long, and they weren't a good team. They, 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 I mean, Alexander Ovechkin, he's a great player. You brought Zidane Chara from the Boston Bruins maybe to help out and try to solidify that defense. It didn't really help. The Capitals are, to me, an older team that needs to start to rebuild. The Islanders are an up-and-coming team. They're still a fairly young team. They're not the youngest team, but they're not the Rangers, but they're one of the, I would say, top 10 youngest teams in the NHL. And with some of the veteran players that they have and some of the players that, obviously, Lula Morello added, and with Barry Trotz defensive-minded coaching, this Islander team has really become a championship competitive team, Speedy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're seeing with Sorokin, too, especially the impact that he's had, making a lot of big saves. And Sorokin's done very well in the third period in pretty much all their games that he's played so far. And when he struggles, it's really early. Like, he'll allow a goal in the first three minutes or something like that, and then he'll get going after that. Then he'll get in his groove as a goalie. Sometimes you need that kind of thing as a routine type of thing. The Islanders' power play, like you were mentioning, has never been their strength, but timely goals are definitely necessary. Second and third period goals, you saw a big run of it in the second period in Game 5. Three goals in five minutes or something like that, and that was a big momentum boost for them. And you're absolutely right about Jari, though. Jari was horrendous in that game and horrendous in the whole series, giving the Islanders a Game 4 win with a terrible, terrible pass too. So yeah, the Islanders have definitely some things to work on. The Penguins puck possession was really, really strong in game five. So the Islanders need to do a better job of getting the puck possession as a whole too. But that could come with a more physical series as well because the Bruins are a different type of team than the Penguins. A very physical team. Yeah, where they don't have to rely on the puck possession as much. So maybe the Islanders get an advantage in that sense.
end where they have better puck handlers. Because even though the Bruins have better top-line players, they are more the the size and skill type team. Outside of Pasternak, their guys, Marshan, Bergeron, they're not really guys that are going to hold the puck forever and possess it. So I think the Islanders could have an advantage in that sense when trying to recover their puck possession stats in comparison to the Penguins. It, it's so interesting when you, when you talk about the Islanders and what they have done year in and year out. Since Barry Trotz has come to the New York Islanders, they were fighting for first place the first year where Barry Trotz was there. Right. They made it to the playoffs. They were the number one defense in the league. They played fantastic hockey, not great goaltending, and they got into the second round. They got eliminated in the second round, I think against the Washington Capitals. Hurricanes. I mean, the Hurricanes. And then last year, they went all the way to the Eastern Conference Championship against the Stanley Cup champions, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and everybody thought they were far and along the better team, and they went all the way to Game 6 against a very strong Lightning team. And now this year, this could be the year, adding a young goaltender like Sorokin, where everybody says the Islanders haven't had that superstar goaltender for a very long time, since Billy Smith. And everybody says, well, they've had good goalies. Chris Osgood, they had Rick DiPietro. Rick DiPietro never did anything for the Islanders. I'm not even going to talk about him. Chris Osgood was a good goaltender, but he wasn't the type of goaltender that was going to lead you a Stanley Cup championship. This kid was the guy. When they drafted him a couple of years ago, and Garth Snow was the one that drafted him. I think he was a third or fourth round draft pick. This guy became the best goaltender in the KHL. He was by far the best goaltender in the KHL for five years. He's 25 years old. He's as good as any goaltender we've seen. And by the way, the best goalies in the NHL are what? They're Russian. So you look at what Sorokin has done in this series against the Penguins, and he completely shut them down. Everybody says, well, he gave up three goals in game number six. He gave up three goals in game number six for one reason. And that was because of Tippins. And that's not the goalie's fault. He had 30 semi saves. Game number four, he had like 50 semi saves. That was game four. That was the overtime game. The Penguins practically doubled them in shots. I mean, he was fantastic in that game. And it shows you what he is and what type of player he could be. And especially going against the Boston Bruins. The Boston Bruins are a very dangerous team. They have the number one line, I believe, the best first, the number one line in all of hockey with Marshan and, and that talent over there. And with adding somebody like Taylor Hall, Taylor Hall has really solidified that second line to be probably the second best line in this series. The Islanders might have the third best line in the series, and that's not saying much. And Matthew Barzell really hasn't even approached or appeared in this playoff yet. We haven't even seen the best of Matthew Barzell. Brock Nelson's line has really been dominant, and and you saw that in in the Penguin series. Brock was scoring at will. We saw Bolivier. He was scoring at will. He's a fantastic young player. And you see what this team could be if they were fighting and they were surging on all cylinders. I want to see what the Islanders could do when they are surging on all cylinders. And that Pajot line, I want to see more from that line. That Palmieri, Pajot, and, and, and Zajac, Zajac needs to play. This is the guy that has the experience. I want to see the experienced players play because that gives the Islanders a best chance to win this series. Now, when you look at Tuka Rask, Tuka Rask won a championship. He's a Stanley Cup champion. And this is a guy that has one of the best save percentages in NHL history in the playoffs. He's a fantastic goalie, but he gives up a lot of bad goals. In big games, he gives up bad goals. All the Islanders have to do is get into his head. If you can get in Tuka Rask's head, you can win. We saw that with the St. Louis Blues at the Stanley Cup Finals when I was there. I was on the ice. And I was right there after the St. Louis Blues hoisted the cup. And I interviewed some of the Boston Bruins fans and Boston Bruins players. I know what the Boston Bruins are capable of being. 
and capable of doing. I also know some of these players where if you can get into their heads, like a Brad Marchand, get him into penalty problems, and get some of these players to make mistakes, which the Islanders are capable of doing. And this is going to be a hard-hitting series, Speedy. Mm-hmm. Very oh, hard. Absolutely will be. You brought up the Palmieri line, too. I think that's actually the X factor for the Islanders in this series because the Bruins on paper, even though their depth has been better than they were last year, it's still not a big strength in comparison to a team like Tampa or a team like Carolina, who they have to play after that if they could beat the Bruins. So if Palmieri plays like he has so far, he's three goals already. He's been impressive. Pajot played like he did last year in the playoffs. That's gonna could be a big X factor in that. Zajac and Sazikas and those guys on the fourth line too. Obviously, we call it the best fourth line in hockey. It is, uh, yeah. And if they could get that significant advantage, then they could end up doing something if they could figure out a way to shut down the first line because the Bruins, when they don't succeed in the playoffs, they usually have been reliant on the first line. And so far, that's been the case in this post uh, this playoffs too. Not that the other guys haven't scored, but again, Coyle's an up and down playoff player throughout his career. Jake DeBrusque, same kind of thing. He had a really bad regular season too. So if the Islanders can get that kind of depth advantage, that's the X factor, I think, for them in this series because on paper, the Bruins, like we've been saying, are a way better team. It's interesting because the Islanders will be playing at the Coliseum in the playoffs in the second round, just like they did in the first round. It was so loud. We saw Zach Wilson and the Jets offensive line show up to one of the games. Yeah. And the fans are crazy. And it's loud over there at the National Coliseum. Do I think that the National Coliseum is going to be as loud as the Garden? I think they're both going to be very loud. I think all the fans are going to be really dedicated to this series. And I want to see the Islander fans show up and support the New York Islanders because they had a huge advantage when they were playing at the Coliseum. It bothered the Pittsburgh Penguins. It bothered Jari. That's a big problem when you go into a series when you know that there's an advantage where when you go to your home, your home ice. So... I think when you look at the New York Islanders, they're going to have just as much advantage at home as the Boston Bruins. I want to see the Islanders knock off the Boston Bruins by using their strengths. And what their strengths are, goaltending, defense, and hitting, forechecking. That's what the Islanders need to do. The Boston Bruins are a bigger, stronger team than the Islanders. Believe it or not, they are. The Islanders are a hard-hitting team. Boston is a very big team, and they're as strong and as powerful as the New York Islanders are against the boards. But what the Islanders do better than the Boston Bruins do is forechecking. They're very good in in the offensive zone for checking the puck, especially the fourth line. You're going to see a lot of that fourth line against the Boston Bruins. They give the Boston Bruins fits. They did it in the regular season, especially in the beginning of the season. They gave the Boston Bruins fits. Now, Taylor Hall is going to be a big, big X factor in this series. The same Taylor Hall that Islander fans didn't want to make a trade for. So The same Taylor Hall that uh, scored two goals with the Sabres and now has, I think, already tripled that. I I told everybody that Taylor Hall is a fantastic. And the fact that the Islander fans didn't want him. They're on drugs. I'm telling you the truth. I am an Islander fan. And I would say that you're on drugs. Because what this guy has done in the last, I would say, the last three weeks of the NHL season was absolutely unbelievable. He was the best player in the NHL in the last three weeks of the NHL season. So far, he's continued that into the playoffs, too. Usually, sometimes you could, could get in and then crash and burn, but that hasn't happened for Hall, either. Boy, did he make a mistake not going to the Boston Bruins when he had a chance instead of going to the Buffalo Sabres. I mean, what was he thinking? <laughs> I don't but, think anyone's going to go to the Sabres anymore at this rate. <laughs> it's going to be a very interesting series, and I will say this. If the Islanders win this series, it will be left only left on the pure goaltending of Sorokin. 
If Sorokin plays like he did against the Penguins, I believe that the Bruins will not win this series. If Sorokin falls apart and they decide to bring in Volamov, the Islanders are dead in the sand. I'm going to believe Bruins at five if that happens. Right now, I think that this series will go seven games, Islanders win. I have Islanders in seven as well. That's that's funny. I have the Islanders in seven games. Mm -hmm. But if Volamov comes in in this series at any point, I say the Islanders lose in five or six. If Sorokin has a bad game one, you do not pull him. You do not take him out in game number two. You got to be confident and be sure. Show the kid that you trust him that he can go into game number two and dominate that game. You cannot pull the kid and... Make him lose confidence that if Volamov gets hurt at any point in this series, you got to bring the kid back in. He loses his confidence. You need to let this kid play confident. If the Islanders do that, they win this series. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, the New York Knicks. What do we think of this series? Obviously, on Friday night, the New York Knicks played a fantastic game, but did they come up short? When we come back, I'm going to tell you the reason why They will win this series when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. Yes, there's no Joshua, but there is Speedy. As you know, Speedy Petey, the board op, the board man, the tidy whitey man himself, sitting as my co-host today. As you guys know, this show, The Weekend Crunch, is live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. And remember, you can download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, which is Apple, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. Listen to our shows. We have 18 shows during the week, live shows that you can tune in not only here in New York, but around the country. We have shows from Cincinnati to Florida to San Diego through all over the country. So listen to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Tune in and listen to the craziness throughout our network and read our stories as well. I will say this before we get into the New York Knicks. It has been a crazy week, Speedy. The weather. And by the way, if anybody has never been to Long Island, whoever's listening around the country, if you're not from Long Island, the pollen out here is horrendous. I am allergic to pollen. When I was a kid, I was never allergic to pollen. Never. Now, all I do when I walk outside, I'm sneezing, I'm coughing, I'm trying to catch my breath. I feel like I have asthma and I am an athlete. So if you need oxygen, you need to go somewhere. Go to a hospital and get yourself some oxygen because I need that. I, if I had an oxygen tank over here, I'd probably I'll be breathing it in right now. But the pollen over here is terrible. But being that it's Memorial Day, by the way, it's going to be a crappy week. Memorial Day weekend, we have rain on Sunday. We have rain on Monday. What kind of Memorial Day is this? Every time summer comes around, it's a, it's a crappy Memorial Day. It ruins everything, Speedy. Well, tell that to the weather gods. Well, I'm not the weather god, that's for sure. Because if Obviously. I was, I would have wind. I could just be like Superman. I could blow it out of my mouth and the clouds would move away if I could do If you were a weather god, you'd make it fall weather all the time. That's true, too. <laughs> I, I actually be snow. Nice and cool. (laughs) Anyways, I want to get into the New York Knicks, and I was getting a lot of crazy mail from people threatening me, telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about the New York Knicks. And I am very knowledgeable of this New York Knicks team. I've been following the New York Knicks since the 90s, since the 80s. Remember, I'm 39 years old. I followed those Knicks teams with Charles Smith and Xavier McDaniels and Kiki Vanderway and Patrick Ewing and Charles Oakley, Anthony Mason, John Starr.
Starks. I remember those good teams. I remember those defensive teams. And this team, in the beginning of the season, really emulated what the New York Knicks teams were in the 90s. Defense, defense, defense. And then they needed to find a star, and they didn't know who was going to turn out to be their star. Well, it was Julius Randle who everybody thought was going to be a bust when the Knicks made that move in signing him after they failed to get Kyrie Irving and after they failed to get Kevin Durant. But Julius Randle has stepped up. Slowly but surely has built his image, changed his image in New York, and he's become a superstar player. Most improved player in an NBA this year. And was an MVP candidate, I believe, was a top five MVP candidate, even though he wasn't on the list. Steph Curry was, but he wasn't. <laughs> what I have seen in this series is the Atlanta Hawks really zone him. They have kept him outside of the paint. Make him shoot the ball in places he doesn't like to shoot the ball. And you see that in this series. If Julius Randle wants this team to move on into the playoffs against the Hawks, he needs to step up. In game number one, he averaged 15 points and 12 rebounds in 36 minutes. In game number two, 36 minutes, 15 points and 12 rebounds. That's not going to do it. And Derrick Rose, as great as he was in game number two, he's not scoring 26 points a game. Even if he starts, he's not scoring 26 points a game. He's been fantastic. To me, the player of this series, the MVP of the series, is Derrick Rose. And that's why he's getting the starting position at the point guard in game number three. But to me, when you look at this team and the ability of what this team has been and what this team has done this year, they have been efficient at the three-point line, which I've never seen the Knicks as efficient as they were this year than any year. A team-friendly 40% three-point shooting team, I think, amongst the league's best. They don't shoot a lot of threes, but when they do, they hit them. This has been a huge problem in this series. They haven't hit enough threes. They've been forcing and chucking up threes. Their perimeter game has been horrendous. And when they get into the paint, they force shots, which Clinton Capella is swatting away. This team needs to figure out what their identity is going into game number four. What this Knicks team needs to be and what they need to ride on is Julius Randle's talent. And Julius Randle needs to figure out who he is. Is he a dog or is he a goat? That's what he needs to show. Because to me, he's been a goat in this series. I'm not talking about the greatest of all time. I'm talking about he's been a goat where he needs to be eaten by a Tyrannosaurus Rex or something like that. He is not the lion that we thought he was going to be in this series. And we have seen Trey Young be the lion for his team. If the Knicks want to win this series, Julius Randle, Speedy, needs to step up his game. Yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest polarizing stats you look at is he shot 29% in the whole series. 9.1 points per game less than his regular season total in terms of overall points per game and 15 points and 12 rebounds in both games the rebounds are nice but 15 points you need a lot more than that from your best player now luckily say gotta Derek, be a dog luckily Derek Rose has stepped up like you were saying he's been big especially in the fourth quarter of both the games so far they've gotten good contributions out of Reggie Bullock and Alec Burks in their two games so far but that's it so far for the Knicks offensively their defense has played okay for their standards but it's not playing like the number one defense and you would think with a size advantage I know Trey Young's a great player but you would think they were be some times where they were able to match up against him and that we haven't seen that yet Trey Young's been electric in both games so far so they need to figure out some kind of game plan if they want any shot at winning this series because again their defense on paper is tremendous but the Hawks offense with Trey Young is potent from three so they have to make some adjustments to make that kind of thing happen they have to take better shots it seems like they're either shooting too early and rushing them or they're waiting too long with their normally slower pace and shooting too late in the shot clock they need to find a medium in that and better ball movement, too. Ruff. Lots of isolation. He needs to be a dog. Lots of isolation, especially like you were saying from Julius Randle. Well, I will say this. Stephen A. Smith said it very loudly. If we're here, they need to go to Atlanta, and they need to sweep them in Atlanta. They need to play at the top of their games. And to me, 
R.J. Barrett hasn't played at the top of his game in this series. Julius Randle, their two best players, Julius Randle, hasn't really taken it to that next level in the playoffs. He has shown me that he is not the playoff player that I thought he was going to be. This is his first playoff. I understand. He's 26 years old. He's still growing as a, a professional. This is still a veteran player. Julius Randle has done it all season long. Why? Because now there are fans in the seats. You're not going to play a good game? Come on, man. I want to see this team play moving forward. I want them to go and play against the 76ers because that's what's going to happen. The 76ers are going to move on in their series. I would love to see the Knicks in 76ers, but you cannot depend on Derrick Rose to do everything throughout this series because even though Derrick Rose won the MVP, he's not the same player he once was. He's a better energy type of player. He's a veteran player now, but he's not the player that we remember, the athletic, speedy guy that's going to go to the hole at will. He doesn't do that anymore. He's become more of an efficient perimeter shooter, and that's what's made Derrick Rose a more dangerous player. His shot has become better. He's become more of a three-point shooter, a more of a 17-, 18-foot jump shooter. And when you have that, and when you get to that age, being that he's 32 years old, he's become a veteran. He understands corner. He understands angles. He understands what team basketball is. When he was a Chicago Bull, everything ran through Derrick Rose. Now it's not running through Derrick Rose. It's running through Julius Randle. Then it's running through RJ. And then it's running through Derrick Rose when he comes off the bench. And the strength of the New York Knicks in this series so far has been their bench. Their bench has been better than the Atlanta Hawks' bench. And that's the only reason why this series is tied 1-1, Speedy. Yeah, and you were mentioning Derrick Rose. I think the other part of it, too, is he really has evolved his game from what it used to be. Obviously, when he was in his prime, he was fantastic in terms of driving the hoop, making tough passes. His vision on the court was tremendous. But in terms of pure shooting, he wasn't great. Like he would, You wouldn't classify him as, this guy's a knockdown shooter. Now, obviously, he's not a knockdown shooter type, but he's efficient with his threes. He's a much better shooter with his threes and his 17-, 18-foot jumpers, like you were saying. And smart shots, and that's a big key for the Knicks. The Knicks, like I was saying earlier, not the pace-type team, but they take smart shots, and they have to keep doing that. But again, they've had trouble with doing that in this series with Barrett, with Randall all of a sudden trying to go isolation on bigger defenders inside. Not that the Knicks are an overall smaller team, but you're using wings and point guards to attack against Clint Capella and John Collins and guys like that, you're not going to win a lot of those battles. So I think those kinds of things are something that the Knicks are going to have to adjust to. They're going to slow the game down against the Hawks to slow them down. But again, you can't just play like that on every possession either because outside of the Spurs, that style usually does not work in the NBA. And it's despicable what the New York fans did to Trey Young, okay? Spitting at him, that's disgusting. I understand that Trey Young, you know, blew kisses to the New York Knicks fans after he came back in game number one and won it for the Atlanta Hawks. I understand that. It pisses you off. It would piss me off. It pissed me off. I'm a Knicks fan. But Trey Young is just a showman. That's what he is. He's a competitor. And when you're a competitor, bring your team back by seven points with two and a half minutes left, you deserve all the credit in the world. Why a fan spit at him in game number two is despicable. And it's obnoxious. And that's why the New York Knicks fans are always being treated like secondhand citizens in the NBA over the years because of the fact that the New York Knicks fans don't know how to hold their voices or hold their spits, their belching, or their stupidity. (laughs) I mean, seriously, that was obnoxious what the Knicks fan did. And he should never step foot in Madison Square Garden again. It was embarrassing. It was absolutely embarrassing. And that was the talk of the town after the game. Not the fact that the Knicks won and the fans went outside and made it look like they won a championship, saying that the Nets stink. By the way, they don't. (laughs) I know they're playing a terrible Celtic team, but the Brooklyn Nets have been fantastic. They really have. And Kyrie Irving has been fantastic in this series. 
You talk about Kevin Durant. It's not Kevin Durant. It's not James Harden. It's been Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie Irving, ever since James Harden came to this team and fighting injury throughout this regular season, and, and they've only played seven games together before this series, and obviously Kevin Durant fighting injury throughout the season, Kyrie Irving has been the heart and soul of this team. Before the whole craziness in the beginning of the season where he decided to sit out and party in these buses and go out with not wearing a mask and all the stuff that people were saying about him, him being fine because he didn't want to talk to the press, Kyrie Irving has been fantastic. To me, he was the MVP candidate from the Brooklyn Nets. Not James Harden, where everybody was trying to put him in the talk of the town. He was—he only played eight games, nine games with the Brooklyn Nets. It was Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving really put the team on his back before Blake Griffin. Who was the second option on that team? Jordan? They didn't have anybody, and they still were winning. Kyrie Irving deserves a lot of the credit of what this Brooklyn Nets is. And to me... He is the leader, not Kevin Durant, not James Harden. It's been Kyrie Irving. It's crazy to say that because we saw Kyrie Irving all these years playing for Boston. When Boston made that trade to bring in Kyrie Irving, everybody would have probably said, you know, Kyrie Irving was going to try and and be the leader and and win a championship with the Boston Celtics. They didn't get over the hump. But matter of fact, with Kyrie Irving, they never went to the Eastern Conference Championship. Now you look at this Brooklyn Nets team. Kevin Durant goes over there. Blake Griffin goes over there. James Harden goes over there. And this team is a championship competitive team. And the only team that can really knock off this Brooklyn Nets team right now in the Eastern Conference, and it's not the Knicks. And I'm sorry, I'm a Knicks fan. Probably the 76ers. It's funny. Celtics fans can now blame Kyrie Irving for them losing again. <laughs> Probably. And, I, and the only thing that I'm going to take a shot at uh, Kyrie Irving is what he said about the Celtic fans. What he said about the Boston fans. First of all, this has nothing to do with racism. We know there has been stories from CC Sabathia and other athletes on some of the fans out there Adam being Jones, there. Yeah. Yeah, Adam Jones, the racist remarks. Why would you bring that up? You were there for a couple of years of your career. You were one of the team leaders of that of that organization. I've heard so many Celtic players, especially Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, all these different players that have spoken up about what Kyrie Irving has said. And even Kendrick Perkins said something the other day on first take, stating that he's never heard a racist remark. He was there for eight years, never heard any fan say any racist things that he's heard of, except maybe drinking things of one of the players that was on his team. Besides that, he never heard anything racist. So why would you take a shot at these fans? Especially the fans that took you in as a son, and you spit them out when you told them that you were going to re-sign with the Boston Celtics and backstab them and go and went over there with Kevin Durant all the way to the Brooklyn Nets and trying to win a championship with the Brooklyn Nets when you could have drawn Kevin Durant to come and play over there with the Boston Celtics. The Celtics were, I think, the runner-up to get Durant when he went to the Warriors, too. Yep. So it's just obnoxious what he did. So should the Celtic fans be pissed off at Kyrie Irving? Absolutely. Absolutely, I would. Look, I wasn't upset that he didn't decide to pick the Knicks, even though a lot of people thought he should have picked the Knicks. Even if he wins a championship with the Brooklyn Nets, it's not as big as if he brought a championship home to Madison Square Garden. Not, close. not even close. So Kevin Durant, James Harden, and obviously Kyrie Irving, if you think that winning a championship in Brooklyn and going up and down the streets, flashing that trophy, the NBA championship, is going to win you over the Knicks fans, it's not. You could see it in game number two after the Knicks won, what the Knicks fans were doing after they stepped out of Madison Square Garden. The craziness. Winning one game, one playoff game, it was loud. 
there was mischief over there. It's crazy. Now the real question. It really is. If the Nets win a championship, will Kyrie Irving think the parade is in New Jersey? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> maybe he'll think that New Jersey is flat. Or maybe New York is flat. No, New Jersey will be round and the world is flat. There you go. <laughs> well, his brain is flat. That's it. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get more into the NBA playoffs. And there was something very, very interesting that's been happening in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers speaks out on the whole saga of wanting to be traded from the Green Bay Packers and why I think he will be traded or he will retire and go host Jeopardy. I will get into that when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. What? Woo! I'm not a rapper, but I'm here. Long Island, stand up. New York, stand up. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host tonight, as you guys know, the great and powerful Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. As you guys know, as the Islanders playoffs keep moving, if the Islanders game is at 7.30 or they play on Saturdays, we will be airing right after the game. So tune in if you if you don't know. We are after the Islander game if they're alive Saturday. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app. You go to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Go check out our website. Go to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. We were talking about the Knicks. We talked a little bit about the Brooklyn Nets. Let's talk about the NBA playoffs, Speedy. And the L.A. Lakers really started off very, very slow in that series. They went down 0-1, and then LeBron James took over. LeBron James missed 20-some-odd games this year from injury. And coming back, he needed to get his feet wet. He really needed to figure things out. And now you're seeing slowly but surely what LeBron James does. He takes over games defensively, offensively, and he can pass the ball just as good as anybody in this league. Speedy, what are your thoughts? Chris Paul getting hurt, it really affects the Phoenix Suns and moving forward in this series. If he was a healthy Chris Paul, maybe they have a chance. I don't think they stand a chance now, especially with AD playing the way he is now. And in the third game, Andre Drummond, Schroeder is playing. This bench is really starting to step up. Kyle Kuzma. I mean, this is as depthful as we've seen the Lakers since the early Lakers teams with Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, and those type of teams. So what are your thoughts with the Lakers in this series? They're going to go as far as Anthony Davis goes. because LeBron is going to be playoff LeBron. He's proven it once again that he's playoff LeBron. But Anthony Davis, he struggles. They lose game one. He has 33 points. They win game two. So which Anthony Davis are you going to get is going to be a big key. Yes, they're deeper than last year, but the Suns have shown good depth. The difference has been the star so far. The stars did not show up for the Suns in game two. Obviously, Chris Paul getting hurt has hindered them a lot because Devin Booker now has to take over kind of in a point guard role, or otherwise you got some of your bench players maneuvered around with guys like Jay Crowder and Dario Saric having to ball handle a lot more for the Suns. So that kind of thing kind of messes with the rotation now that Chris Paul's been hurt. So they have to just play better in those other roles because the Lakers can play in any type of role. LeBron can play all five positions if he wanted to. You have guys like Dennis Schroeder that could be a point guard and a shooting guard. I mean, you have Kuzma that could play a lot of different spots. So the Suns need to adjust to that. Monty Williams, who's the coach of the year candidate this year and I think should win, you got to make those kinds of adjustments to beat these stars because you're not going to win on stars alone if you play off LeBron heating up the way he has. Well, I think it's Tom Thibodeau. If I were to vote, I would take Tom Thibodeau, especially a fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. Who would have thought the Knicks would be a fourth seed? Who would have thought that the Knicks would have won 40 semi games? I think it's Tom Thibodeau. Monty Williams has a very good, talented team. The Phoenix Suns are very talented. And adding Chris Paul wasn't something to not brag about. Chris Paul is as good as any point guard in the NBA right now. He's been a 
as good as any point guard that we've seen over the last couple of years. So to me, it's it's Tom Thibodeau. But the Lakers have played fantastic basketball in the last two games. And LeBron James is taking over the game. And I will say this. If the Suns come back in the series, it will have to be left to Devin Booker. Devin Booker has to be the star. It's not DeAndre Ayton. It's not an unhealthy Chris Paul. It's got to be. It must be a guy like Devin Booker. So the Lakers series is going to be very interesting moving forward. How about the Bucs, Speedy, in the Heat? Who would have thought that the Bucs would be leading this series three games to none against the Heat that went all the way to the championship last year against the Lakers? I had the Bucs winning. I never expected it to be as dominant like this. The Heat, obviously not the same team offensively as they were last year when they were dominant and went to the NBA Finals. Hero, Adebayo, guys like that have been a little more inefficient this year. Jimmy Butler's been in and out with fatigue and injury and stuff, but I never expected Milwaukee to just dominate the way they have this, this whole postseason so far. They haven't just been winning. They've been destroying. And Giannis hasn't even been the full Giannis mode that we normally nope. see him in yet. And that's a scary thought. If Giannis gets going, the bench playing the way they should finally, that's a scary thought. And you wonder if they finish this series off quickly, they'll have to play the Nets next. You wonder if they could maybe get some extra rest and hopefully that could benefit them if they want any shot at beating the Nets. Because I know you were mentioning the Sixers in the last segment. I think Milwaukee on paper with their depth, I think has a better shot at beating the Nets just because the Nets don't have depth, and the Sixers really don't either. They have better depth than they did last year, but they don't really have as much. Milwaukee's winning with depth right now against this Miami team, which also has a lot of depth, and that's a big key. Their second and third tier players are finally stepping the big, up. The big key is Drew Holiday. Right. When they made that move in the offseason, bringing Drew Holiday, they added a point guard that is an efficient point guard that can score at will, pass the ball. He's a fantastic player. He plays good team defense. This is the difference of the Bucks this year. It is absolutely Drew Holiday. He's been fantastic. It really has. And the fact that they have shut down Giannis, really. They've kept Giannis to a a complete 22-21 point total. And they can't shut down the other players. Middleton is scoring. Drew Holiday is scoring. All their second-tier players are scoring. That shows you a good team. And they have a great bench. Where in the Eastern Conference, the weaknesses of a lot of these teams, especially the Brooklyn Nets, they don't have a bench. I don't want to hear about Joe Harris. Joe Harris is starting. They don't have anybody coming off the bench. Blake Griffin is the only one coming off the bench. He's playing well. But again, I don't trust that this Bucks team is not going to move forward the way they've played. So I think the Heat is done. The Nuggets and the Trailblazers. The Nuggets are up 2-1. You know who's been very impressive? Austin Rivers, who I make fun of all the yeah. time. He was very impressive in game number three. Absolutely. He's been a spark that the Nuggets didn't realize they had a lot of the time. With Jamal Murray out, they've had to rotate a lot of different point guards. They've had Monty Morris sometimes play point guard. They lost Gary Harris in a trade, but they've made other shooting guards point guards at different times. And Austin Rivers came out of nowhere and was the X factor for them to beat the Trailblazers. And they've been tough without Murray still, though, too. They were 15 and 2 to end the regular season without him. And so far, up 2 1 in the playoffs. And they're doing the opposite of kind of what we were saying with the Knicks with, with Trey Young, where the Knicks are trying to double team on Trey Young and Trey Young's still scoring anyway. It seems like Mike Malone is content to let Damian Lillard get his and stop everybody else. And Damian Lillard's been tremendous, but again, hasn't gotten the help so far. So Portland's now got to make adjustments on their end because they're healthier, they're on paper better, deeper. They're than a better been. team. Yeah. They're, they're a better team than, than the Nuggets now than, that Murray's not there. Than they've been before. And they've been before too. So they should be able to win. But Mike Malone's done a tremendous coaching job so far. We were talking about coach of the year. If you're judging the end of the season, what Mike Malone has done without Murray has been phenomenal so far. The rotations that they've done, guys like Michael Porter have stepped up. And obviously the MVP in my mind in Nikola Jokic. Trailblazers are the better team in this series. They have the most depth. Carmelo Anthony coming off the bench. I think they're a better team. I'm very surprised the way the Nuggets have played. And they're getting a lot of offense from players you wouldn't expect. Austin Rivers. Austin Rivers was on the Knicks. Then he was on the OKC Thunder. And then he goes all the way over there to the Nuggets. 
and he's been a big part. And we would think that Porter Jr. was going to be the guy that stepped up. It's Austin Rivers. Who would have thought? So I've been very impressed with the Nuggets, and, and the Nuggets could win this series. And if the Nuggets move on in this series, I'm not sure who they match up against in the As second of Right round. now, I think it's the Lakers. Uh, which, uh, good luck on that. That's going to be tough. You look at the Nuggets in this series. Joe Kitch, to me, is the MVP. He's been the MVP throughout the season. You can't give it to Steph Curry or Joel Embiid. This guy, he's been phenomenal all season long. When was the last time you've seen a big man average 29 points, average 10 rebounds, 8 or 7 assists? He's been a fantastic player. Great team defensive player. The Nuggets have been everything and anything that we expect a team to be. If you want to root for a team, the Nuggets are a team that you will want to root for. Clippers and Mavericks, Luka (laughs) Doncic has been fantastic. You want to talk about a super, superstar. Luka Doncic is proving why I think he's the best player in the NBA. And next year, he's going to slowly but surely be compared to LeBron James, be better than LeBron James moving forward after this playoff run. He's been fantastic. Luka Doncic, you can play him anywhere, too. He can play pretty much every position but center. And we've seen Rick Carlisle do a lot of different things. And he's been a triple-double machine to end the regular season, been close to it in pretty much every playoff game so far. We say it all the time. This Dallas Mavericks team is not talented. And Luka Doncic has made these other guys better. They've gotten good bench production as well. In comparison to the Clippers, we thought the Clippers had a significant depth edge. Guys like Jalen Brunson have stepped off off the bench. A lot of those young players have played well. Kristaps Porzingis has stepped up, stepped up nicely in Game 2. And Which I'm not happy about. Of, of course. As Knicks fans, we're hoping they lose because it helps the first-round pick. But mm-hmm. it doesn't look that way right now because the Clippers, again, are shooting themselves out of games in the fourth quarter again. Luka, they will win. I think I still think the Clippers could win this series. I really do. they got to make some kind of adjustment, though, on Luka Doncic. Or like we were saying with the Lakers. Call Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, well, obviously that. Or just hopefully Luka Doncic is only the deal, only the scorer and maybe not the facilitator. Maybe they let him just score and stop everybody else too. But again, they have not been able to do that. And a lot of people were saying, including me, on paper, when they got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, they had the best perimeter defense on paper. Well, prove it. This is a series that it's must win for the LA Clippers. They can't lose another game in this series. They got to show why they're one of the best defensive teams in the league. And Tyrone Lue is a terrible coach. <laughs> I, I don't know what they were thinking when they hired him after Doc Rivers. Two coaches that can't coach. Okay, so... So that series is going to be interesting just, moving forward. Just fire him now and just uh, let Kenny Atkinson And coach. Utah and Ma- Ma- Memphis, who would have thought that it would be tie 1-1 after two games? I mean, obviously Donovan Mitchell coming back in game number two, he was fantastic. But the Memphis Grizzlies, and I have to say something, John Morant is a fantastic player. He is so fun to watch. And we talk about some of the best point guards in the league. You could put him in the conversation now. He is fantastic. I never realized how great he really was. I know he was good, but not this good. He's fantastic. I always liked him as a college player, even the year before he broke out at Murray State, and he's just a complete player now in the NBA, too. And What Memphis has done in this postseason has been very impressive so far, even with the play-in games as well, beating Golden State the way they did, dominating the first game against the Spurs in the first half the way they did. They almost blew it in the second half. They've overcome adversity-wise since then, and they have some depth that a lot of people don't realize, too. Dylan Brooks, guys like Jonas Valanciunas, who played horrible in the playoffs with Toronto, all of a sudden finding a new life with Memphis after they, he got swapped for Marc Gasol. So, I don't know if they'll win the series, but they definitely Definitely showed that they could be pesky. It'll probably be something where they force it to six games and keep it close a lot of the time. They should win a game at home because they got a good home crowd advantage. And I believe they're full capacity now as well. They could definitely make it tough. I don't see them winning the series now with Utah back. with that. I, I will say this. In, in the Philadelphia series, we heard what Russell Westbrook said after game number two. Uh, the pouring of the popcorn on his head. And we, we talked about the New York Knicks fan spitting at Trey Young. The Philadelphia fans are as bad as the New York Knicks fan. Maybe not as bad what the New York Knicks fan did, spitting on uh, Trey Young. But dropping 
dropping popcorn on Russell Westbrook when he was walking all the way into the locker room was despicable. And the NBA needs to figure this out because you cannot let these fans torture these players. These guys are there to not only play in front of the fans, but to give you something to watch, give you something to cheer for. And the fact that Washington is not being respected by the Philadelphia fans is absolutely despicable. The fact that Philadelphia is up 2-0, we expected this to happen. We knew this was going to happen. We watched Joel Embiid grow up right in front of our eyes. Ben Simmons was the defensive player of the year. I think that this team is capable of really making a playoff run if they can play at the top of their games. Now, the question is, with Washington, with Bradley, and obviously Westbrook, they need to take their games to another level if they want to win this series. And right now, they haven't. And you see the difference of both teams and why Philadelphia right now is probably going to win this series. Yeah, well, Washington really relied on them towards the end of the year. And it seems like now they're finally steaming out and getting tired. Not that they're playing badly, but again, they can only carry the load so much. The depth they had last year, which was actually a big reason they overperformed, all of a sudden steamed out this year too. And Philly, who doesn't have a lot of depth on paper either, is just dominating with their stars the way they did. And like we were saying about the fan, I, that's absolutely uncalled for. I mean, I'm not surprised with it's Philly fans. I mean, they do crazy things in themselves, but again, uncalled for for what they did to Westbrook. I want to get into this Aaron Rodgers saga because this has been the talk of the town on ESPN and all the different radio shows and, and radio segments around the country. What bothers me about Aaron Rodgers and demanding he wants his way out of Green Bay is the fact that knowing that Green Bay drafted a corner in the first round when everybody has said that Aaron Reed needs another weapon. He needs another weapon. In free agency, Corey Davis goes to the Jets. We see all these other wide receivers going all different places. Robinson signs back with the Bears, or they franchise him. There were so many available players, and not superstar players, but players that could be feasible. If you put them with Aaron Rodgers, a decent player could become a really good player. To me, they're not helping Aaron Rodgers out. And if I was Aaron Rodgers, I would want out too. Now, demanding himself out of there and saying that he's going to retire is obnoxious. I do believe eventually he's going to be the host of Jeopardy. I think that's what he wants to be. That's his goal. And what what he's doing in his career, he's 37 already, going to be 38. He wants to win one more championship before he retires. He's getting married this year to his movie star girlfriend. So I think he wants to finish his career on, on on a clear high note, winning a championship and walking away from the sport. He won the MVP last year. We saw Peyton Manning walk off into the sunset with the Broncos when he won a championship. He didn't play well, but Aaron Rodgers is a completely different player than Peyton Manning was before he retired. I just think that you look at the big picture and you look at all these teams. You look at all these players that are demanding their way out. You talk about Julio Jones. I just think that Aaron Rodgers, when he spoke and he was interviewed this week, and he said it has no hard feelings on what they did with Jordan Love and deciding to draft Jordan Love a couple of years ago in their first round of moving up. It didn't bother him with that. What bothered him is that he's been asking for players and people to players to put around him so they have a chance to win a championship. And you saw what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did in the NFC title game. They completely shut down Devontae Adams. And if you shut down Devontae Adams and they have no running game, who are they going to throw the ball to? Yeah, again, Aaron Rodgers seems like they want he wants that kind of control. And it seems like quarterbacks now, because they're getting shipped around more often, that's what they're going for. They want to have power within the organization. Now, the NFL is not going to be the same player run league as the NBA, but it's getting to be that way in some senses with Tom Brady. Obviously, 
obviously Tom Brady didn't force his way out. He just didn't resign with the Patriots. But Aaron Rodgers, we've seen several quarterbacks now with Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson doing that because they want the control. And again, organizational power seems like the direction that a lot of these quarterbacks are going in. And so far, the Packers are now falling into the dysfunction trap of the Seahawks and the Texans now, which we thought was pretty stable for a while, like the Seahawks. Uh, not anymore. And that's why I do believe that when June comes around, which is about a week away or a couple of days away, I do believe that Aaron Rodgers will be traded. I, I can't see why the Green Bay Packers will keep him when you can get a significant amount back for Aaron Rodgers. You can get yourself two first, possibly a second and a third, and possibly a, a starting player on another team. I think when you look at the big picture right now, Aaron Rodgers is playing two more good years. Two more years, and then he's going to retire. Maybe a year. Why don't you build on this? You have Jordan Love. You're probably not going to win a championship. Even with Aaron Rodgers, with the players that they have right now, are they good enough? Are they better than most of the teams in the NFC where they can make a run for a championship? Maybe with Aaron Rodgers, but you're not going to yeah. go over the hump. You're not going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs in a championship. You're not going to be in any of those AFC title game champions anyway. There are a lot of teams that are quite capable of beating the Green Bay Packers because they don't have that other factor, that other big-time superstar. So it's going to be very, very interesting on what the Green Bay Packers are going to decide to do. I think they should trade him. I think they should get as much back as they possibly can to really solidify their team in the future. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into some baseball conversation. Do the Yankees and the Mets, with the injuries that they have, are they in trouble? Are they going to make opportunities to make a trade more quicker than they usually do before the trade deadline? We will get into that when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Noah Marks. My co-host tonight, Speedy. Tidy whitey man, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. I did my Vince McMahon, the World Wide. A little growling. I'm being a dog tonight, baby. Like Julius Randall, which I'm trying to tell him to be a dog. But anyways, download the app of the Worldwide Sports Radio Network by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Go and check out our beautiful website. We have a great trivia game called the New York Minute Trivia Game where you can win prizes. Go to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Happy to be here for all you fans out there and all the Islander fans listening to us after the Islander game. Shout out to the Islander fans. Yes, yes, yes. You know, you know, I'm trying to give us a nice little round of applause. What are you laughing at? You're doing their chance. Yeah, well, I'm, my chance. I'm, a, I'm no, an Islander fan. Chance. I'm an Islander fan, so why can't I do that? I didn't say you couldn't. You're a Ranger fan. I know. You're a, Ranger a dirty fan. Ranger fan. I'm sure they're dirtier Rangers. Where, where do you think the Rangers go before we get into the baseball? Where do you think the Rangers go as a head coach? I think it'll end up being Mark Messier. Like I said, I want Claude Julian. I hope it's Mark Messier. I think he's the perfect fit for the New York Rangers. I've been dead on with the Rangers. If the Rangers get Mark Messier, I think they'll make the playoffs and make a statement in the playoffs more sooner than later with any other coach. I really think Mark Messier is the lightning bolt that the Rangers fans and the Rangers need. I don't care if he has no coaching experience. 
This is a guy that knows how to win. This is a guy that brought a Stanley Cup home to the New York Rangers. So in 94, that was the last time they even came close to winning a Stanley Cup. And you're going to say, well, they were in the Stanley Cup against the LA Kings. They didn't stand a chance in that series. No, I, even against Chicago, if they played Chicago, I thought they were going to lose that. Too. They, both, they didn't those stand te- a chance. Both those teams were way better than the Rangers. I, I was just hoping that maybe they wore themselves out too much all the overtime games, but actually that, didn't, that clearly didn't happen. Absolutely. But getting into baseball, we'll get into the Mets first. The New York Mets, even with the injury that they've been fighting. The pitching. Noah Syndergaard could be out for another four to five weeks, they're saying. Yeah. He was at a rehab assignment, and he, they had to pull him off the mound. So the Mets have been fighting a lot of injuries. Probably the most injuries so far in the MLB this year. Oh, they're, they're very consistent with that. <laughs> but they've been very, very good. I mean, they brought in Cameron Maben. He's played well. I think that when you look at this team, they're playing like a team. Peter Alonso hasn't been healthy all season long. Francisco Lindor, their $341 million player, who I think is a complete utter bust this year. He's batting, what, 180 right now? 184? It's horrible. I mean, this is a guy that's the third or fourth highest paid player in the MLB. And the Mets overpaid him, overexuded what every Mets fan thought that they were going to do. And by the way, the New York Mets spent almost $640 million this offseason. And even with the injuries that they've had and the money that they spend, it's surprising that they're 24-20 and in a very bad division in the LLE speedy. Yeah, I don't mind the the fact that they're trying to ease these guys back because they're playing well. And we've seen a lot of the replacement players definitely do it. The replace Mets, as I've seen on Twitter a lot of the time. We've seen James McCann now playing first base. That's how desperate they've become because they're they're lacking a lot of depth. Tomas Nito's played very well, though. That's been a, a pleasant surprise for them. Cameron Maben not hitting, but he's definitely playing good defense. The management with Rojas has definitely been good at times. Their pitching's played well. And again, the, these scrap heap type guys in this lineup, a lot of these guys are contributing. Look at the end of the trade. Brendan Drury and Billy McKinney, both former Yankees. One was a Yankee prospect that traded for Drury. They're both now in the Mets lineup. They, they've played okay. So they've had different guys step in and make a difference just to win enough games. Will it keep up? I don't know. How about that Marcus kind of Stroman? How about the Long Island native, the Patchogue native? He's pitch fantastic and he had to step up with obviously uh, DeGrom out for a significant amount of time and, and, and with all the injuries the Carrasco the Syndergaard they needed somebody to step up as their number one guy and why not Marcus Stroman who's going to be expecting a big contract at the end of the season he got a little bit of an extension uh, where where the Mets gave him 15 million this offseason uh, he needs to step up and he has absolutely done everything that the Mets needed him to do and the Mets Say whatever you want with some of these players that you never even heard of. They've played very, very, very good baseball. The one guy that hasn't stood out is Francisco Lindor. And Met fans should be upset about this. And and I don't want to hear from Met fans. Well, we got an owner that likes to pay. How many times have we heard this from Yankee fans? And how many times have the Met fans stuck it to the Yankee fans? Oh, they buy their championships. They pay for their... No, they didn't. When the Yankees were good and when they won all those championships, they built around a core. You do not over-exude and spend all that money that you spent on a player who is not going to deliver. He is another Jason Bay. What I've seen so far, he's even worse than Jason Bay. Jason Bay, actually, I was looking at it during one of the Mets broadcasts. He actually started a lot better than Lindor did. He just steamed out more later that season. So hopefully Lindor maybe is the other way around where he gets hot later on in the season because Jason Bay actually was hitting, I think, 288 or something to start his Mets career and then came time late May, early June and for the rest of the season started to steam out. But Lindor, another hitless streak is definitely concerning with that. I don't care that they 
have the guys around him in the lineup, you're going to still see Wes Pitches being a star player, but you still got to hit. You still got to get on base. And he seems like he only does that once a game at this point, if even. And that's a concerning sign. I know the other guys around him aren't good, but still. Uh, he's been terrible. Yeah, he's, he's been horrible. Another good defensive streak, player. Yeah. He's a fantastic defensive player. But we've seen fantastic players come to the Mets that are defensive. We talk about Ray Odonias, and, and we talk about all the different def- defensive players that they have. They even had uh, Rosario wasn't a bad defensive player. He really wasn't. He wasn't a great He just made a lot of bonehead plays. Yeah, yeah. but he wasn't a bad defensive player. To me, they didn't make, they didn't pay $341 million to Francisco Lindor to be a great defensive player and a terrible offensive player. You pay a guy that kind of money because he's a great offensive player, and he hasn't. He just hasn't, and he's been an absolute bust. And obnoxiously, when you look at the big picture and where the New York Mets are uh, as far as the leading board, you should be disgusted with some of the play of some of your top players. Alonso hasn't played practically all season because of injury. And by the way, we've seen this over and over again with the New York Mets. When one player gets hot, another player gets cold. None of them are fighting and, and playing on all cylinders. The Mets need to figure that out. Yeah, and again, some guys haven't played well yet at all. McNeil had a stretch of maybe a couple of weeks where he played well, but for the most part, he's been down even before he got hurt. And same thing with Conforto. He's got, he got hot right before he got hurt, but then he was really bad at the beginning of the season. So, which side are you going to get for them when they come back? And lineup depth, which is supposed to be a big strength for the Mets, really hasn't been, even with the guys healthy. Obviously, now there's all the replacement players, so you're running out Mazekas and Nitos and guys like that that aren't going to play regularly as it is. But, again, those guys are stepping up, and yet your main guys aren't hitting, and that's a big concern. Outside of Alonzo, who was hitting before he got hurt, that was really the only guy. Everyone else has really been streaky. And how about the Yankees? Losing Corey Kluber for two months is a significant, could be more. Uh, you might miss him for the season. It all depends on where this team uh, is is moving. And, and, and to me, uh, at the All-Star break, the Yankees are going to have to look for another pitcher. Right. The Yankees right now have the best ERA in baseball. Believe it or not, the Yankees have the number one ERA in baseball. The Yankees are an offensive team. The Yankees right now in offense is ranked, I think, 14th or 15th in all of baseball when usually they're ranked in the top 15. Right. They have not been hitting the ball. John Carlos Stanton is out. He actually was set to come back was this he? weekend. I, I'm surprised. Here. He's been out for a couple of weeks. Glaber Torres just came back. He's been hot. Aaron Judge is finally hitting the ball. And the Yankees need to get their offense going because if the Yankees are not moving and their offense is not going, the Yankees' strength is what they do as far as the power is concerned. And they just have not been hitting on power. But a lot of teams haven't been hitting for power. A lot of teams haven't been hitting for power or average this year. The Yankees still have a problem where the lineup still becomes top-heavy. They need their other guys to start stepping up. Obviously, Stanton's hurt, which hurts that a little bit. But Aaron Judge is playing really well, one of the best stretches we've seen of his career so far outside of his rookie season. So the other guys have to step up in his place. We've seen glimpses of it from Sanchez now. He hit a couple home runs last week, but he obviously has been bad much of the year. And again, they've had a lot of, like the Mets, a lot of other guys coming in. Clint Frazier, they call the best of on Floreal, who got his first major league hit. So they've had different guys do it in spurts, but not enough consistency. And again, in that division in the American League East, especially with the way the Rays have been playing, they had an 11-game win streak, like you were saying, 9-1 and in their last 10 games. The Blue Jays have been surprisingly good. They can't afford to lose all these other games because we expect the Blue Jays and Red Sox to steam out a little bit, but how much will be the question? The whole story is, is they brought Floreal up, and he was batting in, in double-A and triple-A, only 200. But they're so, in such desperate need for a center fielder because they lost Aaron Hicks for the whole season. He had wrist surgery the other day. They need a center fielder. Floreal has been a top prospect for the Yankees. He has not been hitting, but he's been fighting injury. He's only played 30 games in, 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 in the minor leagues. He right. really hasn't played a lot of games. So 
uh, because of injury. So Floreal playing his first game last night and getting a hit is fantastic. Hopefully he gets hot in the major leagues and maybe uh, the Yankees find their future center fielder right there. So I, I think that the Yankees need to find their bats. You saw in the second game against the Blue Jays, they did. Uh, Sanchez hit a home run. Aaron Judge hit a home run. DJ LeMay, who's going to give you hits, uh, he's been fantastic. He's always fantastic. And Glaber Torres has got to step up, which I believe he will. And by the way, uh, I told... I told Josh in fantasy to keep Glaber Torres. He traded him, and I think he's going to regret it. I really do because he's starting to get really, really hot. And uh, I think Glaber Torres is as good as any shortstop as far as offensively in the league, Speedy. Yeah, again, Glaber has to show that more consistently, too. Again, he's down last regular season, but stepped up in the playoffs. So could he do it? Will it take larger spurts for him to get hot is another question. But, again, he has to prove that he could hit higher in the batting order, too, because he's more than capable of it. He's powerful enough as a shortstop where he should be able to hit fifth. He should be able to hit earlier in the batting order where he is, and he hasn't shown enough where he could do that yet. LeMahieu is obviously going to be steady where he is, and obviously Judge and Stanton, when they're both healthy together, they're going to show that too, but the Yankees can't rely on that in terms of a top-heavy lineup again, especially now that their pitching is actually doing well, which is, again, a big surprise. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, guess what we're going to get into? We're going to get into some football conversation. Zach Wilson looked phenomenal at OTAs. I'm going to tell you why a lot of people should be excited for that, and the New York Giants OTAs. Daniel Jones looks good, too. We're going to get into what the Giants need to do this year to be a Super Bowl contender, or how about a playoff contending team in the NFC East? When we come back, we will get into some football conversation. And by the way, Julio Jones will be traded next week. Where do we think he's going? When we come back here on the Weekend Crunch, me and the great and utter craziness of Speedy Petey will tell you why I think Julio Jones is heading to the Patriots here on 103.9. Why not come back from a break? A little hip hop. Rick, 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 That's me, by the way. I'm not scratching. It's just my voice. But anyways, as everybody knows, I'm a little bit. I am a DJ, but you know, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna flip. I'm gonna flop, and I'm gonna do everything. Anyways, as you know, I'm your host Daryl Marks. My co-host, Mr. Speedy Petey. We are the Weekend Crunch on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I had to come back from that break doing a little rig, 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 but I'm dogging it tonight, baby. No Joshua Silverbrook. Shout out to Josh. Hopefully he gets better. Third show in a row that he has not been on a full show with us. I am very surprised. Josh, you're slacking, buddy. Absolutely. You're going to get a nice smack in the rear end. Not from me, but from Speedy Petey. Right, Speedy? Uh, no. no. Why Why not? Are you not going to smack him in the butt? You should. I'm not being that you creepy. give him a little. I'm bit. not being that creepy. Anyways, I want to get into some football conversation. And we slipped a little Aaron Rodgers in a segment. But Julio Jones has been a talk of the town. There are stories coming out from Atlanta that he will definitely be traded by next week. I'm going to tell you why. The team that's going to get him is no utter, not other, utter. I said utter because I want to make fun of Stephen A. Smith because he goes, we here. So I'm going to say instead of other, we're going to call it utter. All right? He is going to the Patriots. I really do believe he's going to the Patriots. Besides the Tennessee Titans, they have a chance. But I just think the Patriots are going to offer him a little bit more. I think he wants to play with Cam Newton. Even though I don't think Cam Newton's going to win the job, I think it's going to be Mac Jones. Really? Everything that I've heard so far in OTAs, he's looked fantastic. Some of the veteran players says that he's a born leader. And I told you guys, I really like Mac Jones. Watching film of him and what I saw 
of him in the film, the guy is a consistent passer, and that's what you need in the NFL when you want to be successful as a quarterback in this league. So he's a pocket-present quarterback. He's not a mobile quarterback, but he's the guy. But I think it's going to be the New England Patriots. We've seen the New England Patriots bring in veteran superstar players like Randy Moss, and now all of a sudden you got a guy like this, Julio Jones. Who would have thought Julio Jones was going to be available? And Julio Jones is still in the prime of his career. I think he's 30, 31 years old. I think Julio has another two, maybe three years left in his league. If he could stay on the field and stay healthy, could you imagine the weapon? I do not want to see him play for the Patriots, play against that Jets defense with rookie corners right now. You don't even know who your second corner is going to be. We know it's Bryce Hall. He's on one side, but we don't know who's going to play the other side. The Jets drafted a bunch of corners in the late rounds, but you don't know who's going to be good or who's going to be bad. And Richard Sherman's still out there. But if Julio Jones goes there to the Patriots, you have to sign Richard Sherman. You have to. You cannot go into the season and expect to compete with the New England Patriots with Julio Jones over there on one side of the ball. I will say this, though. Head-to-head, Julio Jones has actually done very well on Richard Sherman, so I don't know if he necessarily would want that either, but worth a try. Yeah, the Patriots, I think, are definitely a leader in terms of pursuing Julio Jones just because in terms of teams that need a number one receiver because we've heard the Titans. I know the Titans have been saying they're offering a first-round pick. I don't actually believe that, but they're pushing for that that they're still going to use Julio Jones as the number two receiver because A.J. Brown is there too. The teams that are going to push for the hardest are going to teams that are use him as a number one. The Patriots, I think, are in that mix. The Ravens are in that mix. We've heard the Raiders are in the mix for that kind of thing. They're going to use him as a number one type receiver. Now, the Patriots, are they going to spend draft capital to do it is another question too because the Raiders, I think, have a little more draft capital than the Patriots and the Ravens, they always have compensation picks to, to expend to and they're going to make it tough. I think all three teams are going to make it tough. I don't think any team going to overpay for Julio Jones. I don't think you're going to get more than a second round pick. That's where I don't know if the Patriots will be the leader, but we saw the Patriots spend money this offseason, so they're doing things a little different. As far as the Jets are concerned, well, Zach Wilson has looked fantastic. Absolutely fantastic at OTAs. It started this week. Actually started last week, early late last week, and and what we have read and what a lot of these analysts and, and reporters are saying is he has been dominant against the Jets defense. Now, obviously, Quentin Williams is not there. He's out for 12 weeks or 14 weeks because of his broken foot. We know that C.J. Mosley really isn't practicing right now, and Marcus May isn't there, so there's a lot of their superstar players that are not playing, but when you're hearing stories that the guy is hardworking, he's dedicated, and, and his arm strength and his release is unbelievable, it's something that we haven't heard from OTAs and Jets camp early on. I remember when Sam Donald, when he was drafted by the New York Jets three or four years ago, OTAs, a lot of the reporter says he didn't look good, he's thrown a couple interceptions, he's thrown Paul that has hit the ground. I think they said Zach Wilson, He they saw maybe three balls hit the ground. That's right. it. Mm-hmm. He's been very accurate. He's a sponge. And, and listen to what the coaches, they rave about him. You, I've heard what Michael Floor said about him the other day at the press conference saying that he's a sponge. Most quarterbacks, they'll sit and, and watch tape for three hours. This kid will sit and watch it for four or five hours. He wants to learn. He wants to sponge everything. He wants to learn everything. And then Robert Salas says that this kid is, is not only a star, he thinks that he is a, a pure team leader. He's a he was born a born leader and everything. Everybody's raving about this kid. Not even just the players. He's going out with his team over there to the Islander games and hanging out with his, his offensive line mates. Did you see Sam Donald go out in public and hang out with his offensive line mates? Never. You never saw it. And I'm not taking shots at Sam. Sam's just a different guy. He's a different maybe he didn't fit here in New York. Maybe over there in Carolina because it's a quiet state and a quiet city. Maybe he'll he'll fit more with Robbie Anderson over there and, and feeling more comfortable 
Rule over there with Matt Rule. But there's something special about this kid. Now, people compare his skills to Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. Let's hold up for a minute. Let's see what this kid does in his first year and figures things out. It's going to take a couple of years to really compare him and contrast him to another quarterback in his league. But his skills, his release, his ability to, uh, to look at the field and see the field the way he does, his progressions, and, and all the different things that we hear about this kid and how mobile, how fantastic he is, and that if he ran his 40 at his pro day, which he didn't because a lot of his coaches said he wasn't 100% healthy with his, his ankle sprain, to not run his 40. A lot of people believe that this kid can run his 40 and 4-8, four 4-7. Four and for a quarterback at his ability and his agility, if he can run a 4-7, four 4-8, four not only is he a, a throwing threat, he's a mobile threat. And a lot of people say he's just as good on his feet and moving outside of the pocket as he has standing in the pocket and making the throw. So, Speedy, he's looked fantastic. Yeah, and the other thing that was very interesting, and you were talking about it with the leadership, he's also getting these other guys involved in training camp. It's not like you're just trying to develop one player. You're just trying to force-feed one guy and try to work with him. The article that you showed me before the show, Elijah Moore was getting really involved. Keelan Cole is another guy that he really liked throwing to a lot of the time, which a lot of Jets fans were thinking he's just going to be a depth guy, he's just going to be a red zone threat, and that's it. He was actually getting involved in, in tough routes, too, and that's a good sign with the leadership perspective. The BYU guys we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, they were saying that his leadership was very similar to Baker Mayfield. He'll come out loud with his personality, but still be very much liked by teammates, and I think you're seeing that so far, and that's a very good sign in terms of just changing the culture with the Jets, because Baker Mayfield Mayfield had a very had a very similar challenge changing the culture with the Browns. Yeah, but the- Baker Baker's more of a club guy. He'll go out and hang out a club. He's not. Zach Wilson is not. He's he's more of a stay in a home guy, hanging out with his girlfriend, watching movies with his family, going to restaurants and eating. So you're not going to see him like Baker Mayfield go out and club and hang out and get drunk or smoke marijuana now that it's illegal. You're not going to see Zach Wilson do that, Speedy. No, I'm not judging in terms of what he does off the field. I'm saying in terms of the type of leadership in terms of his style of leadership, I think that makes a difference. And again, the situation very similar to the Browns and the Jets, both teams that we know have had bad quarterback graveyards, as we like to call it, bad quarterback trends. And both these guys are very similar in the way they're they're fiery. And we've seen Baker do it already with the Browns. We often still see on, on the field if Zach Wilson could do it with the Jets. But in terms of this kind of training camp OTA start, it's encouraging. It's going to be very, very interesting with the New York Jets. Every year you get alarmed when you hear these stories with the quarterback position and who's the quarterback. I think the Jets know who their starting quarterback is going to be in week number one. And a lot of people didn't think that was going to happen. But it's something to to be excited about when you hear about what the reporters are saying about this kid and how fantastic he looks and how big of a leader he is. I just hope that he stays healthy. The, the, the Jets keep him on his feet. And if they do that, who knows? Maybe they're a playoff team this year. I don't know if they are because of their schedule. I think their schedule is very competitive. And I, I think with some of these young players, you have a young wide receiver in Elijah Moore that needs to figure things out. You have another running back in Michael Carter that needs to figure things out as a running back in this league. And there's a lot of other players that are just going to have to figure out what the team game is. And you have a new defensive coordinator. You have a new offensive coordinator. You have a new coach. It's going to take a little while to figure things out. And with the division that they're in, it can't take a little while to figure things out because this division is too good. You have Buffalo, you have New England, and you have Miami. I mean, this could be the best division in football, Speedy. Yeah, it very much could be, especially in the AFC. It's right there with the AFC North in terms of the overall toughness. And who would have thought we already been saying that about the AFC East with how dysfunctional Miami was for a while, how dysfunctional the Jets were for a while. 
whoever thought we'd be saying that. But yeah, it's going to be tough for them to be a playoff team right away just because of those circumstances. Head-to-head division tiebreakers could define that, especially now with the extra game. So if they could either sweep Miami or sweep, say, New England or something like that, maybe that could be the difference in a wild card. Or even, again, if Miami wins the division, maybe Buffalo and the Jets are both wild cards. It's it's a lot of different possibilities with that. But again, it, it will be tough with the schedule. It's going to be come down to who wins those tough games. And the Jets tiebreaker games, having those last place games, could make a difference. The Broncos, that could be hard. But playing against the Bengals, a lot tougher than playing well, against the Browns Rogers or the Ravens. Is there, yeah. If Rodgers is there with the Broncos, it's well, going to be hard. I don't think it's a, a game that you're going to say, oh, that's a winnable game. But right now, it's a winnable game, the Broncos. If Aaron Rodgers is there, I don't know about that. But I, it's, it's just so interesting. And then you talk about the other New York team. You talk about the New York Giants. Joe Judge (laughs) has said some interesting things about Daniel Jones. And he is very confident about him this year, more than he was this year. I think being being that he's this is a second year under the same offense, I think that Daniel Jones will understand the offense and the capable strengths and the weaknesses of this offense. Their offensive line is going to be a little bit better this year, I think, with Soldier coming back and some of the plays. They did lose an offensive lineman and Ziegler. I know you didn't like that, but they added Kenny Galladay. I think he's a pretty good wide receiver. I don't think he's a number one, but he's a pretty good wide receiver. And they added, obviously, some good offensive talent in this year's draft. So, I think they have the weapons to be competitive, and their schedule is definitely winnable. This is a a very winnable schedule, especially in the division that they're in. They're in the worst division in football. It's not even a question. Who's going to challenge you in that division? The Cowboys? I mean, the Redskins are good defensively. Are you going to depend on their offense and what they've done so far in this offseason? I would say no. And and Ryan Fitzpatrick, who always plays well his first year with that new team. So who knows? Maybe they make make a run in that division. Again, it'll be interesting to see because the NFC East all has that same easy division. They're going to play against each other. They're going to cancel each other out probably like they did last year. Because, again, nobody was, except for the Eagles, nobody was under five wins, but nobody was over seven. Like, Washington won the division that way. So they're going to knock each other out. Again, how bad the NFC South be will be interesting in those in those matchups too. But in terms of the Giants, on paper, they're probably, when healthy, the third or maybe even the, the fourth roster. But again, the Eagles have had injury issues in the past. Dallas always has injury issues every year, and they don't win big games. So it's still definitely winnable for the Giants. It's encouraging what you're seeing from Daniel Jones so far with the new weapons, so that's a good sign. I still think I didn't like them overpaying Galladay, and I didn't like them drafting Tony. But again, maybe if they could prove me wrong, go for it. But winning the division games are going to be the, the biggest key with that. And in terms of Jones' development, obviously the biggest thing will be turnovers. But again, hopefully those offensive line pieces can make a difference. I still hate that they cut Ziedler for just, what, $10 million? So, yeah, okay. So it gave you a little money to overpay for Galladay. Okay, yeah, that's where we're going. I, I think that the Giants need to figure what they are and who they are as a team. Saquon Barkley coming back this year, they add, they add a significant powerhouse running back, which they haven't had really for a year and a half. They need that kind of offense. They need efficient offense, especially from their wide receiving play, and now their running back play. Daniel Jones is going to have to be a different player this year. He's got to be a leader. I think he is the guy. I really do. I like Daniel Jones. I like when the Giants drafted him, I think he fit. He reminds me of a better Eli Manning. And I don't think he's a better thrower than Eli Manning, but I think he could do other things that Eli Manning couldn't do. He's a lot faster than he looks. He's more agile outside of the pocket than Eli Manning was. I think he can make plays. And I, I want to see this team make more plays than we've seen over the last couple of years. Well, it's not hard to have better speed than Eli Manning. I think you would run better than Eli Manning when out of the pocket. Well. <laughs> if the only one that was slower than Eli Manning was his brother. <laughs> well, that's true, too. But I want to see the Giants play a little bit better. And defensively with Ramsey, and, and they brought 
brought back practically all the players again this year. They added some sufficient defensive players in this year's draft. They don't have a lot of money, so they couldn't really add free agents to this team. But they, they re-signed Leonard Williams as well as they should. 12 sacks. He's one of the best defensive linemen this year. He should have been a pro ball player. Well, that, yeah, that's what happens when Aaron Donald is in your conference. It doesn't matter. He, he deserved it. You get 11 and a half sacks, 12 sacks, you make the pro ball. No, of course. No, he had a Pro Bowl caliber season. The only thing that I didn't like what the Giants did is I don't think it was a bad contract for Adore Jackson, but I think that money would have been better spent going after front seven help. They could definitely need edge rushing help. They lost Kyler Fackrell in the offseason and Marcus Golden as well, so that's going to be hard. They got Aziz Ojolari maybe to replace it, but beyond that, eh. They don't have much of that dressing help. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what are we going to get into? Debbie Wars. Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. And no, no Joshua Silverberg. We've got Speedy Quack Petey on the board and producing and my co-host, Remember, you can listen to the show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to WWSRN on iOS or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And guys, check out our website. It's beautiful www.worldwidesportsradio.com We've got a trivia game called the New York Minute. You guys are going to love it. It fits everything that we do for our network. We have great stories, great writers, and, and great interns that work with us and learn all the stuff that what radio is all about. So definitely check out our website. It's, it's definitely fan favor, favored for everything that we do on the network. Speedy, so we do this every single week, and there's no – you do the debate wars. You do all the questionnaires and, and all the stuff, back and forth banter between me and Josh. No Joshy. No Joshy Washy. I'm too sicky. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Josh. But how many times do you have to get sick? How many times? You go to these bachelor parties. You go do this. You go do that. When are you going to actually come on the show and do do the show with the great E. And I call myself the great E. And then we call uh, Speedy the great small PP, right? I thought I was a crash test dummy. Well, that was my uncle that called me <laughs> a crash test dummy. I didn't call you a dummy. That's fair. Well, anyways, Speedy? Debate Wars. This is the Debate Hour. And now in this corner, your host, Errol Mars. And in this corner, who gives a sh- <laughs> All right, we're going to start with the New York Giants, the aforementioned New York Giants. Bigger first-round bust for the Giants, Eric Flowers or Eli Apple? Oh, come on. We're going to really get into this? It's Eric Flowers. Eric Flowers did absolutely nothing as an offensive lineman for the New York Giants. They decided to draft him in a top 10. I wouldn't even say he was the third or fourth best offensive lineman in the first round. He came from Miami, a complete bust. When he left the Giants, he played a little bit better on the three or four different teams that he went to. Eric Flowers. Eli Apple at least went to the Saints and played pretty well with the Saints. Uh, I'm going to go with Eli Apple, though, because I, Eric Flowers did play well his rookie year for the Giants. He was a guard for most of that season, and he did play better. I, the whole line was bad that year. and the, But again, that was when the Giants' offense was actually good. Eli Apple, was he had one, maybe two or three good games. I know he played better for the Saints, but again, that was really only that half of that one season. I think Eric Flowers, I think, still played well in that part. His low might have been lower, but I think Eli Apple was more consistently worse. So I'm going to go with Eli Apple. All right, let's go to the NBA. Better coach so far in their career, Scott Brooks or Terry Stotts? 
I'm going to go with Scott Brooks. He's been more successful over there with OKC with James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and obviously Kevin Durant. He's had more success with those teams. He's been to an NBA championship. He's done well with good players. He goes over there to Washington. He's coaching Bradley Beal. He's coaching Russell Westbrook. He's made it with that team. I didn't think they were a playoff team this year. So I'm going to go with Scott Brooks. I'm going to go with Terry Stotts because I think Scott Brooks was gifted a lot of good talent with OKC uh, during his career. Whereas Stotts really had to really grow that other talent with the Blazers homegrown guys. I think he was there at the end of Brandon Roy before he retired early, and Brandon Roy was a nice player before he retired. I think he retired at 26 years old, and obviously he had to deal with all those injuries with Greg Oden, and then when Damian Lillard came in, it was Damian Lillard and LaMarcus Aldridge and nobody else, so I think he did a good job with that too, leading them to the playoffs. Even some winning some playoff games they didn't expect too, so I'm going to go Terry Stotts. All right, let's go to baseball. Who is a better closer? Jason Isringhausen or Jose Valverde? Jason Isringhausen. When he played for the Mets, he wasn't that good. But when he went to the Cardinals, he was a much better closer, much better pitcher. I I think that what he has done as a player and and really solidified himself as a closer when he left the Mets, when he came to the Mets, he was more of a starter. The Mets wanted to use him as a starter. Then they transitioned him as a closer, and he just didn't do well with the Mets. And then all of a sudden, he goes to the Cardinals, and he took the Cardinals. He was a big part of the Cardinals' World Series chances of winning the 06 when they won the World Series. So he was a big part of that World Series team. So I'm going to go with Jason. I'm going to go with Valverde. We're disagreeing a lot on this. I'm going to go Valverde. I think he had better longevity. He he pitched well with the Diamondbacks. He also pitched well with Detroit, too. And what was a very bad bullpen for the Tigers in the late 2000s, early 2010s. I believe he was part of that World Series team. He went to the Mets. It was terrible. But again, the Mets kill all relief pitchers that uh, do well with other teams. So I'm not going to hold that against him. Houston as well, another team that for a bad team, he played well there, too. I just think his longevity was a little better, even though I think Isringhausen had a slightly better ERA. It wasn't by I, could, much. I can never pronounce his name. Isringhausen. Isringhausen. Yeah. Okay. He, a terrible name, by the way. So I'm going gonna, gonna to just give the slight edge to Valverde here. All right, let's go to NHL now. Better player, Sergei Gonchar or Rob Blake? Mm. I'm going to go with Rob Blake. The time that he was with the Kings, he was a fantastic defensive player, great team player, rough defensive player, good offensively, good defensively, and was the captain at one point of the team. And I just think that he was the heart and soul of that Kings team when he was over there. So I'm going to go with Rob Blake. I'm going to go with Rob Blake as well. I think you're, uh, like you are saying, a tough defenseman. Really changed the identity of that Kings team that was pretty bad for a while after Wayne Gretzky got traded to St. Louis. And he was still very good amidst all that. Both guys were very physical. I think Gonchar had more hits in his career, but Blake had some more impactful hits and I think better overall leadership with that Kings team. Didn't necessarily put them on the map directly, but indirectly did as well, just with Southern hockey. So I'm going to go Rob Blake as well. All right, back to the NFL. Who is a better center? Nick Mangold or Jeff Saturday? Oh, come on. Are you kidding me? Nick Mangold. Jeff Saturday is not even a Hall of Famer. I, I think he was a great player. He played with, with the great Peyton Man. Who did Nick Mangold play with? Oh, I'm sorry. Sanchez? Uh, yeah, great player, by the way. Nick Mangold, when he came into the league, he, he had to defend and, and, and really protect bad quarterbacks. Now, I, I'm not saying Mark Sanchez was a bad quarterback. He won four playoff games and four away games, which is, is very hard to do, especially in the NFL. But Nick Mangold came from uh, when he had to replace a Y, who was a Hall of Famer, and really Ohio State, he was a late first-round draft pick, and the Jets had to move up to get him. Now, Jeff Saturday was a great player. He played very well with Indianapolis. He moved on in his career as an analyst. I just think that Nick Mangold, not because I'm a Jet fan, he is a Hall of Famer. He is going to go into Canton. I don't believe Jeff Saturday will, so I'm going to go with the Hall of Famer. 
I think they're both Hall of Famers. Here's the thing, though, with Jeff Saturday, Peyton Manning, we were mentioning earlier, with lack of mobility. I mean, that has to be hard to be the center of that guy. You Gary's, know exclusively. Hold on one second. You're a pocket and, quarterback. And Mark Sanchez, he did run out of the pocket into people's asses. He's not much of a mobile quarterback either. Geno oh. Smith, give me a break. I mean, fair enough. I feel bad for Brandon Moore for being the uh, butt of the joke. Who would you rather be a center for? Peyton Manning, Mark Sanchez, or Geno Smith? Of course. No, but I think the lack of mobility doesn't help when you're when you're Peyton Manning, I think it's a lot harder when you're an offensive lineman for... So you're going to tell me Jeff Saturday was a better player than Nick Mingball? For, for, for an interior guy, I think that for a similar stats, three more years for Jeff Saturday, too. I think that does make a difference. He also played well with Green Bay the one year he was with Green Bay as well. I think that ends up making a difference, giving him a slight edge. I think they're both Hall of Famers. I think they're both fantastic players, but I'll give a slight edge to Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday is never going to make the Hall of Fame. Very interesting. All right. Better player, NBA now, Jameer Nelson or Jason Williams? I'm going to go with Jason Williams. Uh, now, Jameer Nelson, he actually made an NBA championship with the Orlando Magic. Mm-hmm. Jason Williams never did, but Jason Williams was fun to watch. He's a talented player, great passer, one of the greatest passers I've ever seen. Ball handlers. When you talk about Kyrie Irving, you talk about even the ball handlers now, the Steph Curry's of the world. Obviously, Kyrie Irving's a better ball handler than Jason Williams, but Jason Williams had that funk. He had that little superstar type of ability to move the ball between his legs. He was just fun to watch, so I'm going to go with Jason Williams. I'm going to go with Jameer Nelson because I also think the playoffs, what he did with Orlando, and even before that too, I think he was very good consistently as not not necessarily a top option type player, but sometimes he was their best player. Jameer Nelson was that second best player by far to Dwight Howard in the playoffs where he wasn't really thought of to be with Orlando. And I think both longevity very similar. I think Williams had a lot of talent around him with those Sacramento teams too. So I'll give a slight edge. But he also made those Sacramento teams good. Of course. I'm not denying that. I think just slight edge just because of the talent. I'll I'll go Jameer Nelson. All right, one more. Who is a better outfielder? Tim Salmon or David Justice? Tim Salmon. Now, I like David Justice. His first five years, power hitter, great, sensational with the Braves. Went to the Yankees. He was a big part of one or two of the Yankees championships. But I think Tim Salmon, he was a better all-around player. He was more consistent as he moved further in his career. I'm going to go with Tim Salmon. I'm going to go with Tim Salmon as well. Even though he only had the one postseason in comparison to David Justice, who I think had many different years in the played postseason. Played for the Braves. Played for the Braves. I think he played for Cleveland. Like, he had a couple years in the playoffs. But Tim Salmon, the one playoff Oakland. run with the Angels makes a difference. Oakland. Oh, yeah, the Moneyball Athletics. That's right. But Tim Salmon, I think... One World Series team and also some teams that were pretty good with the Angels but not great in comparison to the teams Justice played for with the Yankees and with the Braves. I think that ends up making a difference. I think he was a better defensive player, steadily more throughout his career uh, with the offense as well. So I will agree with you on that one in our final debate and give the edge to Tim Salmon. The Angels go from a salmon to now having a trout. (laughs) That's pretty good, actually. (laughs) Salmon to the trout. Anyways, we need Joshua here so I can murder him at debates because I win all the time. So Josh doesn't stand a chance. I mean, you obviously are competitive because you know the question. Because you're the one who asked the question and you made the questions. When we come back, the final segment of the show, Speedy Crunch Time. Here on the Weekend Crunch. Little Busta. Busta, Busta, Busta. I'm going to spank Speedy in the butt. Joshua, don't, don't give a you-know-what. Oh, 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 I'm just kidding. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host tonight's Speedy Pete. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the world 
Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And check out our website, our beautiful website, and our trivia game, The New York Minute, by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Anyways, I want to give a shout-out to the Islander fans for listening to the show. Because this is the best show. This is the best sports show in New York. Yes, we're better than Craigie. We're better than Boomer. We are the voices of sports radio here on 103.9. And we are hosting the greatest sports show in New York. Here we go. Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time. It's time for Crunch Time. All right, we start in the NBA. Buy or sell. Julius Randle will have another game in this series where he has less than 15 points. He is? I don't know what's going on with Julius Randle. I think he's lost it. I don't think he can handle the pressure, being in New York. And I think the fans have really affected him. There has not been fans in the audience all season long. And, and now all of a sudden there's fans, 15,000, 16,000 fans, and he can't make a shot. I think that's a big problem, especially moving forward now that there's no COVID-19. So I'm going to say yes. There will be games, however long the series goes, that he's going to score 14, 15 points. I, I don't know if Julius Randle has it. I'm going to buy it, too. I think there will be another dud, whether it's at the Garden or on the road. I think there will be at some point. I could definitely see it again. He's been very inefficient, taking a lot of bad shots, either early or too late in the shot clock. So I am definitely going to buy that as well. Buying and buying and buying. All right, buy or sell. Matthew Barzal will finish the Islanders Bruins series with more points than Patrice Bergeron. I am going to say yes. I'm going to buy it. And I'm going to tell you why. He did not play well in the the first series uh, against the Penguins. The Penguins are double and triple teaming him, trying to keep him out of the hashes, making him shoot the puck in places that he is not the player that he usually is when he gets inside the hashes and tries to put the puck in the net. So I'm going to say yes. I'm going to buy it. I think Matthew Barzell is going to have a fantastic series. I'm going to predict four to five goals in this series. I'm going to sell it. I think both players play well. I think Barzell will bounce back and start to play well. But Bergeron has all that talent around him, whereas Barzell, we mention it all the time, does not have that same level of talent. So the assists, I think, will come more with Bergeron, too. I know the, the Islanders' defense, obviously being very tough, are going to make it a lot harder than what Washington did. But I still think Bergeron, with the talent around him, is going to make a difference. So I'm going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Cameron Maben will remain hitless with the Mets for at least five more starts. If he gets five more starts. No, I think Cameron Maben will figure things out. He was hitting in the beginning. Now he's not hitting at all. So I'm going to say he's going to figure it out. I, there's no way. I, I understand he came off the scrap heat. But we've seen him come off the scrap heat and actually hit for the Yankees. I think he will. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. I think Cameron Maben will get a hit within the next five games. I think the Mets, all the injuries that they have, he's going to keep playing at some point. So I think eventually that he will get one. I mean, eventually he has to come through. I just think probability-wise it is very hard for him to do it again. And somebody's going to come through if not for these other random guys on this team. All right, buy or sell. Mac Jones will end up the starting quarterback for the Patriots at the start of the season. I'm buying it. I've said it, and I'm going to say it again. He will win the job from Cam Newton. I don't care if Julio Jones is there. I don't care if he wants to play with Julio. You can't tell a kid that who's played well in practices and played well in that one preseason game that he's not going to start, he's not going to play. I'm going to buy it. 
I'm going to sell it. I think it's hype for right now, but I think he'll start at some point later in the season. But I think right away, I still don't see it happening. Bill Belichick's going to ease him in a little more. I know there's a little hype right now in terms of the accuracy that he has, the connection he has with these receivers, but I still think it's going to take a little longer. Not a lot longer, but a little longer for him to actually start week one. I think it is more week five, week six, or something like that I I can see him playing. Because I do think Cam Newton has to play better than he did last year, too. I'm going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. The Mavericks will win against the Clippers in four or five games. I'm going to sell that. I think the Clippers are going to come back. Something tells me Kawhi Leonard here and all this craziness that he might be traded at the end of the season because they're not going to win with him. I think he Kawhi Leonard's too good of a player to not come back in this series. I'm going to buy that the L.A. Clippers come back, but no, I, I don't think they're going to get swept. I'm, yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I don't think the Clippers are going to come back, but I think they will make it more than five games. I, I'll, I'll say six games, maybe even seven. They have a dud in game seven because the, the Clippers with all this pressure, they blew a 3-1 lead last year. And as we mentioned earlier, Tyrell Lue is a terrible coach that doesn't know how to make adjustments. Fire him now and just actually make Kenny Atkinson the head coach. It would probably be the best thing for them to do, but I don't know if they're smart enough to do that. And Luka Doncic has played too well, but I don't think it goes to four or five games. I think they'll steal one in Dallas and then they'll win one, another one at home. I, I say they lose in six. Mm-hmm. Alright, buy or sell. Ilya Sorokin will start the entire series against the Bruins. I'm buying it. I'm buying it. I'm buying it. If I ever say selling it, I'm going to throw Barry Trotz in the toilet bowl. He has to start Sorokin in this series, so I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. I think he'll finally learn that Sorokin is finally the guy that you could trust. I think that maybe there are some doubt of, alright, he's a young goaltender, maybe he's going to play. No, he's won every game for you now. Now he's seeing a large enough sample. Barry Trotz is, is the best coach in the league. He's going to realize that at some point. I think, again, just he's trusting it too much with a young player at this point. Maybe that's why he didn't do it initially, but in terms of finally doing it with a larger sample now, he'll realize it. And the Bruins are going to be a tough test for him, obviously, but I don't think they're going to be like the early potent offense like you saw the Penguins do it. They're going to be more spread out where he's not going to be pulled in games either. So I am going to agree with you on that one. All right, buy or sell. Noah Syndergaard will not pitch again until 2022. I will sell that. I think you're going to see Noah Syndergaard. I don't know when you're going to see him because the guy can't stay healthy and he's built like a friggin' ox. But uh, I think that he'll figure things out. I think the Mets will figure things out. I think they actually have decent trainers now. So I'm going to buy that he will play this year. So I'm going to sell. You will see him this year. You won't have to wait to see him next year. I'm going to buy it. I'm gonna, I am gonna. feel like there's going to be more setbacks. It's because he's built like an ox. It's one of the big reasons he's had all these injury issues. Because it's not really good for a pitcher to be built like that. We don't see a lot of these taller pitchers. You see more leaner pitchers nowadays. Obviously, you want some leg strength, obviously, to have the delivery and the windup and stuff like that, but you don't want to have the injuries guys built like Noah Syndergaard, and that's as a result of why he's gotten hurt. Sometimes he works out too much. It's different with a position player like an Aaron Judge or John Carlos Stan. He could, they can be built like that. Obviously, they've had their own injury issues too, but it's much harder for a pitcher, especially with all the arm injuries that Syndergaard's had in his career. So I actually would have buy it. I think, the, I think the way his body is built is not ideal. Buy or sell, the Falcons will get a first-round pick for Julio Jones. I'm going to buy that. If the Tennessee Titans really want him badly, enough. I think the Tennessee Titans will do everything they can, and I think they're the only team that they're going to give him a number one draft pick. So if the Tennessee Titans offer him that, I think they get him. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I still don't think it's realistic for the Titans to, be, to want to do it. I like their GM, John Robinson. I know he's made some other crazy moves 
recently that haven't been as good, but I think he's still too smart of a GM to do that kind of thing. He knows Julio Jones had been in and out with injuries, nagging injuries a lot of the time. It's not like it just missed one season and then he came back and was fine. A lot of turf toe, a lot of ankle injuries, and I, I don't know if you're worthy to give a first-round pick for that kind of thing. Tennessee's kind of cash-strapped as it is, so if they're going to make the trade, I feel like they're going to try to fleece Atlanta more than anything else. I think they're more of a later in the trade process more than earlier. I know Derek Henry and A.J. Brown and guys like that are trying to recruit him there, but I just don't see it's realistic from a football standpoint for them, especially for a first-round pick, so I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Kawhi Leonard will be gone from the Clippers next season. Sell it. The sell it. No way. I do not think that's going to happen. And if it does happen, the only place he's going to go is Miami. So I'm going to sell it. I don't think a chance in hell that's going to happen. Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too. I think they're actually going to try to push for one more run if they do lose this because they're saying, all right, this is the worst of the worst. Now we're going to have Paul redemption. Paul George has that better chance of yeah, leaving. We're going to have redemption now. I think that's they're going to try one more run in him to try to get that one superstar. I don't understand why they didn't go after Chris Paul. Chris Paul back to the Clippers. That would be kind of interesting. It would have made a lot of sense. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I just don't think they're going to just give up on it after two years. They'll get more depth. They'll get another star, whatever it takes. They're going to make it work for Kawhi Leonard. I'm going to sell it as well. All right, one more. Buy or sell. The Toronto Maple Leafs will actually blow a 3-1 to lead against the Canadians. Mm, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to buy it. I I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm going to buy it. Because, listen, John Tavares is not playing right now. Thank God he's not playing. But Toronto hasn't won a playoff series in a very long time. Yep. <laughs> so I, I just don't buy it. And I, the last time I've seen Toronto win a playoff series, I was probably in diapers. So I'm going to buy that they're not going to win this series. I think the last one they had was 96-97. So I think you were in high school or middle school or something. That's like what that. I mean. But I was in diapers. <laughs> I hope you weren't wearing diapers then, yeah. but okay. <laughs> I'm in diapers now. <laughs> Listening to you, I'm going to piss myself. Uh, I'm going to agree with you, though. I'm, I'm going to buy it. It would be just classic Leafs. And we've seen upsets this year. So far, the Islanders and the Bruins, so far, they're the lower-seeded teams. They've advanced. We've seen Minnesota push Vegas to a Game 7. And outside of Colorado and Tampa, none of the teams are really expected to win have won so far in the NHL playoffs. That's the beauty of it. And I just think it would be just classic Toronto for that to happen once again to a team they should have no business struggling this badly against in Montreal because Montreal on paper is nowhere near what Toronto is. But it would just be classic Toronto. So I'm going to buy it as well. And that will conclude this week's Crunch Time. There you go, guys. I hope you guys had a really, really fun time. Hopefully, we'll have Josh back on the show next week. Stop crying about your sicknesses. I had neck surgery, and I went right back on, and I did my show. That'll be four weeks in a row that you're not on the weekend crunch. You need to get back on here, and you need to get back on quick. Stop making excuses and stop being a baby, okay? I'm just saying, I hope you feel better. I'm behind you, but... You need to get your stuff together. Anyways, Speedy, you have anything to say before we go? Yes, enjoy your Memorial Day weekend, Absolutely. everybody. A long weekend. Whatever you guys are doing, obviously, some places are opening up again. Places are lifting all the mask restrictions. Rainy, rainy, rainy. But again, try to enjoy it still, again, to the safest and funnest of your ability, though. So Funnest? Yeah. Mm. Interesting word. <laughs> Interesting non-word. It's mm. not a word. But mm. en- enjoy sure. enjoy whatever you're, whatever you're doing, whether you're out, enjoying it with family, friends. Enjoy it. I wish everybody a happy Memorial Day. Stay safe. No drinking and driving. I'm sure there'll be fireworks. Be careful. Go Knicks. Hopefully they get, uh, get themselves out of this hole. I, I don't know what the hell's going on. As far as the Islanders are concerned, they got to start playing and play at the top of their ability. If they do that, I think the Islanders will be very competitive in this series and maybe win this series and move on to the Eastern Conference Championship. That's it. We'll be back next week. I'm sure the Islander game will be on Saturday, so we'll be after the Islander game. But stay tuned. Our promos, we'll probably have a guest next week, and we will have Josh back. Hopefully, if he's not being a baby back, you know what. That's it. 
We will be back next week. This is Errol Marks with PDPD and the Weekend Crunch saying good night, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.